What's your name and what's your game? Uh, my name's Shane Neville and my game is Bunker Punks. Isn't that already out? Yes, it's in early access right now, but it's coming out for full release 1.0 on May 28th. And what what made you decide the release date for full release? Um, so I really killed myself uh, in a bad way, like did permanent damage to my eyes and my feet and my hip finaling the game for early access. So I said, you know what, I'm not going to crunch at all for the final release. So when the game was done, I said, okay, three weeks from now, I'm going to release my game. So, okay, and that's when you've timed all the marketing and yeah, all that. So I just like I said, this is going to be my date, and so I finished the game three weeks ago, and everything, all the contents done, everything like that. Uh, now just focusing on marketing and promoting the game and getting it out the door. How'd you how'd you figure it's done? Um, I had to kind of put a line in the sand and say like this many guns, this many enemies, this much content, and then. I worked a lot with the early access community. I have a great community on Steam, and they just gave me a lot of feedback on polish and balance and kept on fixing things until people stopped complaining, and it was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, how'd you, uh, like, after killing yourself to get the initial launch, how'd you kind of time your updates for early access? Um, at the beginning, I was trying to do it every week, but that got to be really hard because... The game wasn't making enough money to pay my bills, and so I had to do a lot of freelance work. And so then, um, at the very least, I made sure I always posted an update every month. And sometimes it was every couple weeks, and every time it was a month. But I wanted it to be enough content and enough of a substantial change that people would want to pick it up again and play it. I didn't want to be like, hey, I redesigned the pause menu GUI. Here's an update. You know, like there's there's no value there. So it was more about the, the quality of the update and the content of the update that made me decide when to, to push one out. And how did you like kind of let that let people know about that? Um, for the most part, it was just Twitter and uh, the Steam forums, like the Steam community. It's really easy to post news updates that everyone who has your game will get a notification, and uh, that just keeps people coming back and playing it, the people that are in for early access. And so it's just staying in touch with them helped a lot. One of the more, um, I think, interesting parts of the Steam community is kind of the people that write reviews. Um, and I'm wondering, like, how, because the reviews changed... Like, the kind of process of how the reviews worked on a default level changed while you were in early access. Yeah. And I was wondering if that's something that kind of affected you I, I in don't, any way. I don't think so, because, like, the Bunker Punks is reviewed very positive, you know, so... And I'm, I'm a little over, like, 125 reviews, so I'm, I'm past certain thresholds that make a difference in terms of, like, how your reviews get categorized within Steam. Um, when they did the switch, that uh, free keys that you had given out uh, no longer affect your review score that actually didn't affect my review score at all so that was good so uh, I know with a lot of people that that was a, a big hit that that affected some games but for me it yeah. was fine I think like my percentage dropped by like one percent or something like that so it wasn't a big hit uh, which then just tells me all my friends that I gave free keys to didn't review my game so why did why did I give them keys in the first place right <laughs> yeah I uh, mean it's uh it is interesting because like every single game has a different effect based on the changes like some games their score goes up, some games their score goes down, and it's really just like another kind of roll of the dice on the yeah. Steam store. Yeah. And, um, and I, I think I think the more curator reviews, like I'm, I'm doing a curation, a question bus curation. Goal. Oh, cool. So I have a, a curator page if you want to play the games the, by the people I interview on the question bus. And then the review is, I think, almost always positive. There's one game I didn't give a positive review because I wouldn't 
actually recommend it. Right. Um, but I gave like intermediate. And it just says I interviewed him on the question bus. Like that's the, right. that's that's, the level. That's, that's the statement. The, yeah, that's the statement. And uh, um, I think uh, I think I think more curation. Or do you think that curators are kind of the the solution for this theme? Like the kind of visibility uh, issues that a lot of people are facing? Discoverability is really hard, not just on the platform of Steam itself, but just within the community because journalists are just flooded with stories too, right? And so it's really hard for an indie developer. If you just say, this is my game, talk about it, and it doesn't have an amazing hook that gets people's attention, you're not going to get a lot of coverage. And so when I first announced Bunker Punks, I got a fair amount of coverage. And when we came out of Early Access, I got a lot of coverage. But now I don't have a new hook. Like, it's it's done is my hook. And so I'm not getting as much coverage. And so, you know, I don't know how the launch is going to go. But then when you get into curation, I think they've addressed a lot of the problems in terms of people just requesting keys and then reselling them on the gray market. Mm-hmm. I think that was a really big problem because you would get a lot of people saying, hey, send me five keys and I'll review your game. Which is basically like... I'm going to sell four of your keys gray market in exchange for giving you a thumbs up review. Like that's the unsaid subtext of doing that where the curator system right now, it's really simple. Here's your key, you know, hopefully you'll review it, but you can't resell it. So have you been, have you been using that new, I'm going to, I'm going to be like blitzing curators next week. Um, and, and I like, you know, I'm going to be looking for their, their, um, tags that they want to review and go with ones that I'm, I'm familiar with and things like that. So I'm not going to like blanket email every curator I can find. Um, but, you know, I've got a short list and I'm going to be going through in more depth next week and just sending off keys and putting it on their radar. And I feel like the game's coverage kind of uh, landscape changes even more than the game's landscape itself time to time. Like, we didn't even have the built-in Steam curator stuff when we were coming out. So yeah. how are you... Uh, like pie charting your uh, marketing time between like traditional press and and Twitch people and YouTube people and well, and, and Steam curators and all that. Yeah, and and I, I don't know if I'm doing a good job of it, but this this is my general idea: is if people have heard of your game, they're more likely to open your email, whether they're a streamer or a journalist or a curator, and so. Um, I'm lucky in that I've been in the industry for like 22 years. I have a lot of old contacts that I've stayed in touch with. And so I was reaching out to them three weeks ago. And so I I got that article on Kotaku about how I crunched during the early access and like permanently injured my eye and did all this permanent damage. And it's always good when you can turn those negatives into Kotaku articles. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But like, you know, it is funny because then I got a bunch of emails from friends saying, are you okay? And it's like, no, this was two years ago. Like, yeah, I'm in a much better place now. But um, that was, I was just talking with uh, one of my contacts at Kotaku and, you know, we were just talking about different things and that came up and he was like, yeah, there's a story here. Let's do the story. And that elevates kind of your exposure a little bit but I don't I don't like blanket emailing people without having some sort of contact um, and so it's more about building those relationships maintaining them and then seeing where they go from there you know when I launched into early access Twitch was still kind of the wild west and there weren't a lot of paid endorsements and so a lot of streamers were just happy to get free keys and it's a very different situation now on Twitch 
Um, so I'm just, I'm going with the people I know and the people that I follow and have relationships with and sending them stuff and then hoping that, you know, through, you know, key mailer or other services, the curator system, people come to me with requests. And that's what I've seen over the last week and a half, two weeks since the Kotaku article came out. And since I announced my release date, I've gotten a lot more requests from high profile streamers, like. Like, I don't want to name. Okay, we don't I, need to. I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to name yeah. names, but like people, I was genuinely surprised that my game was on their radar. Um, yeah. And people whose work I'm a fan of were contacting me saying, "Hey, your game's really cool. I want to check it out." So that's been really great. And then hopefully that's gonna start to peak towards oh, you know, a week and a half from now when the game comes out, and then more people will just be on more people's radar because that's kind of what you want is. I think that's what I think. I think you want to get enough impressions on the people who are influencers so that then they're excited about your game so they can talk about it. But if you just like blanket email everybody and nobody's heard of anything, they're barely even going to open your email because their inboxes are just stacked. Whether they're a journalist, a streamer, a curator, everybody's stacked. So you want to get on their radar somehow. So speaking of Twitch, uh, one of the biggest meetups we have here in Vancouver is the Twitch meetup. Yeah. And I'm kind of wondering how you're finding, or do you go to that and how do you find, how have you found that with a game coming out soon and a game that's like demoable? Um, so when I did the early access launch, I went to the Twitch meetups regularly and I had a sign-up sheet and I signed up tons of people and maybe 5% of them streamed the game. And so it's... I know that streamers have their audience and their audience is very much about the game that they play. So there was a really high profile FIFA streamer and he was super psyched on it. He's like, all I ever play is FIFA, but I'm totally gonna play your game. And he had like tens of thousands of subscribers and I was really psyched, he never streamed my game. And that's totally fine, right? Because yeah. his audience is there to watch him play FIFA. And if they're there to watch you play StarCraft or League of Legends yeah. or whatever, that's totally fine. So I just kind of focused more on the people who are streaming, that have variety shows and stream a variety of different games and that's kind of where I focus my efforts now. It's also crazy that like, because I remember one of the biggest profile streamers we had was, it was like, he plays he played something yeah and he's just like has to play a game as a break and that's what he picked us and it was like one of our biggest streams like pre-launch and it's just so crazy to me that uh that people <laughs> like can stream your game as a break yeah exactly <laughs> so yeah it's, it's interesting and it's it's twitch is a lot more mature now as a medium and like the audience has figured out what they want and the streamers have figured out how to make the most of their audience and their time so where two and a half years ago it was like people were just figuring it out you know and so you know i'd have people with a thousand followers asking me for two thousand dollars to stream my game and i'm like no <laughs> i don't know if you know how math works but this isn't how math works I'm pretty sure, yeah. but they didn't know right everyone was still figuring it out yeah. and i think now the it's it's more relaxed and they figured it all out now so well i think i, I don't i've had uh one podcast advertising company reach out right and i gave them a number and i just made it i was just like this is what it's worth yeah and then they asked how many subscribers i had and i told them and then i never heard back so <laughs> like, i think i think in general you just kind of gotta like test that out yeah exactly you never know so has streaming influenced any kind of um like like little like tangible aspects of your game oh absolutely yeah like every time that if i post a big update and somebody streams it or does a youtube um i always watch it especially if they've never played the game before because 
when I first went into early access, before that, I did a ton of hands-on play testing. And so, you know, I, I just watched how people played my game and I could see where they would get confused and I could change the UI for that. Um, and now that's probably one of the greatest values is watching this, somebody who has nothing to, to gain or lose by playing my game. Whether they like it or hate it, it doesn't matter. What matters is that they're entertaining their audience. But if they come to a screen and they're confused about what to do or they don't understand the impact of something or what the benefit is, then that's a good cue to me that I need to make my UI cleaner and just communicate better. So like the first year was really good for that. And still on occasion when somebody streams it, I'll, I'll watch it and see where they're having fun and where they're hitting hiccups and I'll adjust things accordingly. It is really good to like test out like when you do an update and then wait a little bit and then just see who's streaming it and kind of see, like I find it like we were, it was really good for even just bug testing. Yeah. Like just seeing stuff. Um, and also it's really hard to set up because I've heard that like the best test scenario would be you they don't know you're there yeah they don't know you're there and they're just playing it by them like of their own action and then you're kind of watching and seeing what they're doing because if you're there then they might be most people will be nicer they won't they won't uh they'll ask questions or they'll, they'll, yeah. they'll so it's kind of nice with streaming to be able to have that thing that's normally a pain yeah I don't know, have you ever been able to do those type of that type of testing no, in your not, career not not as like an indie like we, we've done we did some blind tests like way back at ea and stuff like that but that was a very different world in a different time where and they you, also know that it's ea yeah exactly like they're it, yeah. they, they're still they, yeah, they know it's part of it and you're like behind a two-way mirror and it's, it was really awkward and oh strange. so it's like it was like a detective really, really weird yeah uh we did some of that at nokia too was so. it obviously a yeah, like they, the people had to be really clueless to not realize that there were people behind the glass watching them play, and they would be like, and it's you know it's, they call it they called it focus testing yeah. then and stuff like that, and yeah, it was very strange. Where now, you know, I, I worry a lot less about what the people say, and I worry a lot more about how they play and the decisions that they make because you know I designed Bunker Punks to be a very fast-moving, aggressive game where if you stand in one place, you're just going to die. And so you've always got to be moving, whether it's forwards, backwards, side to side, whatever, you've always got to be moving. And if they weren't playing the way that I was trying to design the game for them to, to play, then I would look at doing things to improve that. And so, especially in the early days going to full indie and doing playtesting, having a drunk stranger play your game in a bar is amazing because... Their, their filters disappear yeah. they kind of they're just there to like try it and see if they like it and if they like it they keep playing and if they don't well screw you they're going to go do something else yeah. right and so there's there's very little for them to lose their game by playing your game and so you see behaviors and you see where people bounce off of things and make decisions and uh, that was that was invaluable in the early days and sure. they're also kind of your like as far as if gaming like how much you game was a spectrum they're kind of like like I'd say game developers are probably like dead in your yeah. market right yeah. whereas like if you were to demo at a at a just random place yeah. it's like they might not have played Doom or yeah. Quake and sometimes you know developers will like the one thing that always bugged me there were a couple times when people would just come up and like touch your monitor and like poke at things on the screen to give you feedback and it's like I'm really picky with all my hardware so I'm like stop touching my brand new laptop and it really freaked me out because they're drunk and yeah, so don't, don't touch screens in general you, yeah. don't, you, you just put your finger near it close to it but like people would like tap it it just drove me nuts but like yeah. the I don't like that at work yeah exactly <laughs> like I want to keep my monitors clean but you know like a lot of people did like really cool stuff and gave me a lot of good feedback and sometimes they would you know have 
feedback that was completely irrelevant and you've just got to learn how to filter that and you know know where the gold is but that's what you're always looking for you're looking for that that one nugget of insight that will make your game way better i also feel like bunker punks is kind of a it is it is in the genre yeah like it, it is a it is it is established in a genre that has its rules yeah um does that and does that make it easier to filter? Because you, you can just hear feedback that's like, okay, they don't understand that this is what it is. Yeah, exactly, and that and that's something you know it's, it's been great with the Steam community too as well. Just filtering stuff where it's like, like oh, you need you know people like oh, I want hidden rooms, and I'm like, well, hidden rooms mean that you're wall bumping against everything and taking your time to go through the levels. So you don't you don't really want hidden rooms the game is about running fast and moving yeah. and so like you get that feedback because that's something that people remember from doom and from yeah. wolfenstein that is has a nostalgia in their brain but it's not the core to what makes the game fun and playable and so it's like you just got to filter that stuff out with like the nostalgia elements that yeah i don't in. really like like hearing that i don't really like the hidden rooms of <laughs> wolfenstein i don't mind like if i know i need to go there like if it's like like in the new Doom, right? It's like okay, there's a thing here, and I'm like, okay, where is it? How do I, I get, get to it? Yeah, like I, I kind of enjoy that, especially because the level design's a lot more like. Yeah, well, there's got to be a way to do this. Yeah, where like if you're doing procedurally generated hidden rooms, it's yeah. there's it's really hard to. <laughs> we provide hints, right? Like you can't do it. You just like it just generates, and if everyone walks up to every poster to see if there's a room behind it, it yeah. just makes the game zero fun. So yeah, I think we have we have hidden rooms in our game, but nobody would try and bump into them unless they <laughs> scout it. It's more if they scout it, they go, "What's that?" and they go to the thing. Right. But I think theoretically, they could run just tapping up. And just find the hidden rooms. <laughs> find the hidden rooms. Yeah. They're also really rare. Yeah, I just didn't want players to wall bump. And, you know, so you get that feedback and yeah. you, you, you roll with that. And you always say, that's great. Give me more. Because if you just like, no, I don't want to do this, they're not going to give you more feedback. And that's especially with other developers, you want as much feedback as you can because you never know what you're going to get that's going to be the key. And so you just keep rolling with it and keep asking for more. And also, like, doubling up. Like, if you hear the same feedback from multiple people, that probably... Yeah. Exactly. The hard thing is, like, sometimes there's someone who you'll hold in high regard, and they'll give you feedback, and because they're very successful and they've given you feedback that's well thought out, your intention, you might be inclined to act on it more likely than other feedback, and I've made that mistake a few times where it actually made the game worse but because it was like, wow, he's, that person's yeah. a great game designer yeah. and I'm going to act on it. And then it's like, well, no, that, that sucked. That was actually a really bad move. And so it's, it's really hard, you know, and I've been making games for like yeah. 22 years, but I still have idols and heroes and it's hard not to weight their feedback yeah. heavier than it would be to other people, you know? And so it's sometimes that's, that's dug me in a couple holes that I had to dig out of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I definitely like try and think of if they are like a uh, uh, designer that I really respect, I think about what type of games they play and then kind of if that lines up, then I would value them. But if it's like I know that they don't play those games. Right. Like It's like Chris Barassa, every time he sees Matt Thorson recently, he's like, I never want to play Celeste. It's not my game. <laughs> but love what you're doing. <laughs> Love it, like it's That's like, so Barassa. Yeah, it's like, yeah, so I wouldn't go to Chris Barassa for platforming yeah. feedback, but I would go to Matt because I know Matt 
has played yeah, he's, all he's, of the those games and loves Mario Maker and like has yeah, made those type of games. He's, so. the, he's the guru of yeah. side-scrolling platformers. Yeah. You or know. like the Northways with VR. Like, yeah, if exactly. Making a VR game, I would love their feedback. Just exactly because all they play is VR. It yeah, and it's like you have a conversation with them before you even start the project. You know, yeah. it's like I'm thinking about making this. What are the like the first five mistakes that I shouldn't make? And that's the great thing about Vancouver or just having any sort of community around you is you can go and ask those questions, and nobody ever thinks you're being stupid. Like that's probably one of the best things I've learned over the last five years is. Nobody thinks you're you're stupid or incompetent because you're asking for help or advice. It's like that's yeah. actually how you grow and continue to develop is you need to ask for help and and know, I think most key. I think most people know that their advice is it, the time and the genre and the platforms that you're releasing on influence. Like if anybody ever asked me for advice, I'm like, well, it was this time and this is what we did and this is why we did it, but. Yeah, I don't know, man. Your results like, may vary. Yeah. No, no guarantees, yeah. right? So is there any developers that are like huge FPS buffs that were super, super <sighs> good feedback-wise? Yes, and his name slips my mind right now. But he had he was hardcore competitive Doom player mm-hmm. and Quake player. And uh, I feel really terrible that I forget his name right now. But anyways. Do you remember his eSports name? No. Um, but he was. Like, he was competitive. When they had... John Carmack at GDC that year playing people in Doom, he was one of the best people against Romero. No, Romero, not Carmack. It was John Romero. Carmack's building rockets. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's he's going to the moon and shit. Um, But uh, it was Romero. Um, But but he played him and did really well. uh, Is Romero still nice? yeah. Doom? Yeah, he's really, he's good. Yeah, he was just bodying people left, right, and center. It was amazing. <laughs> Anyways, but he, so he, he played my game, and I got two pages of notes, and it was like, you've got to put your rotation head angle, like, just down, like, four more degrees. And, like, it was so precise and so accurate. And he's like, you know what, your run speed's, like, 8% too slow. And it was that one chunk of, like, half hour of feedback, just filling pages in my notebook. I just went home the next day and did all of it exactly how he said, and the game was like 40, 50% better. Just, it just felt better. It was more fun, more immersive. And you just randomly. Yeah, we met at Full Indie, and he just, just, just like yeah. bruh, gushed it all out to me, and I just like ate it all up. Yum, 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 yum. And, what, uh, uh, it was amazing. Is there any like really bad feedback that you just were like, I'm never doing that? That we. Yeah, like the, like the hidden objects one is like the hidden rooms yeah. one always comes up, yeah. and it's always against no the nature of the game. Um, there's like a lot of you people. know what's the good thing about that one too is you can put a hidden room in there. Like if anything, it's more susceptible to. Yo, you didn't find it. You didn't find the hidden room I put in. Well, also it's like they wouldn't expect it, given you're so staunchly like. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but um, and there was like a lot of people that wanted the bunker sim. To be more complicated. So what had happened is, like, Bunker Punks is a retro first-person shooter, high-speed, procedurally generated levels. After a couple levels, you go back to a bunker and you add rooms. And the bunker is basically a non-linear skill tree. But when I first did the bunker building, it was a full bunker sim, and you had punks living in your bunker, and they could go and like work out in a gym, and it was it was closer to like Fallout Shelter and XCOM. And now it's more like XCOM slash nonlinear skill tree. And so, like, there was this full simulation, and people bounced off of it hard because they would come back, their adrenaline would be playing, and they'd get to the bunker and be like, okay, what do I build a room? What do I do? And it's like, time's passing. What's going on in this 
these two genres mashed up in a really awkward way. Yeah. So then I simplified the bunker building and made it a nonlinear skill tree, which is great. People come in, upgrade down the path they want to go down, and go back in and play. But then people were like, oh, I want the bunker building to be more sim-like. It's like, dude, I tried that for a year and a half, and it sucked. It was yeah. like, <laughs> I, I, I wasted so much time building this, and people bounced off of it so hard. I hear you. It was the original idea for the game, but it doesn't work. Like People just bounced off of it way too hard, and I had to rebuild the whole thing. I think um, one of the things that I saw the giant bomb coverage uh, of Bunker Bunks, I think during early, I guess in early, yeah, early way, way in the early access um, and they got the uh, kind of dystopian anti-capitalist kind of dark future yeah um, part of it but I feel like is that something that you feel like is kind of like did you have trouble getting that out there just because I feel like it's a bit under like for how many anti capitalist things I see on Twitter I don't see the proportional like bunker punks kind of tweets about it like and, and I'm wondering if it's if that's something that uh, you've had trouble getting out or if there's something that you're trying to improve the messaging on that yeah it, that's a tough one because like when I first started bunker punks it was when Harper was running Canada and for people that don't know he was you know a pretty far-right conservative and you know was silencing the scientists and making a lot of bad decisions about refugees and immigration and things like that and i was i was very very angry and then and we also don't have a term limit so he was like i remember because i i once i graduated it's like he won the first eight years of me being able to vote every time yeah and so i was very frustrated and i was very angry and then we had an election and justin trudeau won and i'm like oh I'm not that angry anymore. Well, I'm just going to finish up my game. And then Trump won in the States. And, like, the fiction of bunker punks is, you know, Russia goes to war, America gets a hard-right conservative corporate leader, and there's, like, all the food crisis and climate wars happen, and all the rich people are like, screw it, we're going to go live in our walled cities and everyone else can suck it. And the idea, all of, like, the early bunker punks fiction was all about building walls. And so when Trump is like, build that wall and campaigning on that, I was like, man, this is like, it's, it's scary that it's hitting, too, hitting so close to home. Yeah. And so honestly, I've, I've leaned away from that angle. And like, it's still very much in the game and it's very much in the world. I haven't pulled it away from the game at all. But in terms of promoting the game, um, I just think like it's, we're in a really scary place right now politically. And I think that, the fiction hits too close to reality for me to be like, yeah, this is awesome. It's like, no, this is really scary. Yeah. You know, like, and if people do find it, they'll be connected with it. Right. And, and, and if that hits that string, if not, if you're just like, damn the man, and you just want to be anti-corporate, that's totally cool too. But for me, it's, I had to, I had to pull away from that angle, which was my motivation for making the game in the first place, because, uh, you know, like, like many people after the election, I was unproductive for three or four months because I was just in su- such a state of shock. I couldn't stop watching the news and watching these things happen. And it's still like something bad will happen. And it just, it hits me so emotionally that I'm like, what can I do? And so it's, I just had to step away and, you know, the game is the game and it's, it's got its message about, you know, anti-corporation and how governments can use propaganda to silence people and influence their decisions and make them take medication that keeps everyone in line. And like, those are all things that are actively happening in, in, in North America right now. And so it's like, it hit too close to home. So I kind of distanced myself a little bit away from it. And do you, do you also find that, like, I feel like a lot of games that people 
are mad at that are political or have those kind of ideas are of specific genres that I would say that if you took the, the graph of people to play it would all vote like kind of that thing whereas right. I feel like the shooter um, uh, might might lean a little bit more of a mixed kind of political crowd and I was wondering yeah. if you kind of experienced anything with that where it was like what's all this politics doing in my shooter I just want to go yeah. to hell or <laughs> I, I would say that the there's been just as many people saying pixel art is stupid I want my high definition graphics and that many people saying that and as many people saying like you know get get your politics out of my game but it's it's been surprisingly few but I think it's because of the nature of the game you know the pixel art I think bounces off a lot of those people that really want a high definition shooter like the, if they're far right politically I don't think that they're gonna look at the trailer for Bunker Punks and be like, "This is for me." Yeah. Um, but like, it was, I think it was also, you know, it probably was a bad business decision because like the Venn diagram of people who are anti-corporate and the people who like shooting things and blowing them up, there's there's not a lot of overlap in that Venn diagram. So I think there, I think I, I don't know. Maybe. I think I think there's I think there's people that I think Splatoon. I would argue that Splatoon's kind of the opposite. Yeah. Of that, where it's like they don't want to play a military shooter. Yeah. But they'll go play Splatoon, and I exactly. actually think that it could go the other way. Yeah. Like the same thing with you, where it's like I like shooters with real guns, but I don't like military. Yeah. And, and like games like uh, like Eleven Bits, uh, The War of Mine, and Frostpunk have done a great job of like we're making a political game about an event, but they don't say where they stand politically it's like th- this is an event and governments do terrible things and war is a terrible thing and you just have to be a part of this and experience it regardless of what oh, you're and so like yeah. their approach to it is they address these these situations like you know from my perspective you're like oh the very leftist way to approach things in this war of mine but then if yeah. you're a conservative you're also going to come into that and be like oh these are the consequences of war like it's, it's apolitical yeah. but it's still got a political bend to oh, it which is I think is really is brilliant for, your, for, for you or I, th- I think it makes me want to work harder you know and, and make something that can kind of reach those people where like that wasn't my objective with this. I wasn't trying to like reach conservatives conservatives and say, yeah, this this tells you that corporations and government should be separate and religions and government should be separate. Yeah. That wasn't like I wasn't trying to do that. I wasn't. Yeah. I knew I wasn't going to make any difference in them. It was more like for the people who have already drank the Kool Aid. Here's some more Kool Aid. Is is mm. as much as I'm going to get. Yeah. I think with either Punk. flavor. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> um, what uh, given it's uh, the like kind of take down the man uh, kind of anti-capitalism tones of Bunker Punks yeah. how much were you on Steam Spy and how much like what what were what were you doing there uh, yeah like Steam Spy was a, was a great tool um, it was weird because Steam as a marketplace changes so rapidly that like a game that released six months ago doesn't reflect the market today um, like it's so but yeah I use Steam Spy all the time I love Steam Spy it was fun to see the games that I thought would do well and then see how they actually did and vice versa. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, oh, I think, you know, this game, I think it's going to tank and then it does really well and it, it makes you question what you know about the market because the market is so broad and it's so beyond what you believe is interesting in games and what you value in games. And so it's it's always good to look at Steam Spy and, and have that reality check of like, this audience is huge. You know, there's tons of people with PCs and they all want different things and you never know what's going to be a success but yeah leading up to launch I was on Steam Spy religiously you know Bunker Punks I think 
in launch week it was in the top three or the number one trending game on Steam Spy for a couple days so that was like for someone who used <laughs> the site a lot I was like hey this feels really good I guess that's a good that's an interesting way of like testing the your marketing yeah because then it's like you, you people that are developing games which are probably most people on Steam Spy um, are interested in how you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, 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 yeah, people were talking about it, people were streaming it. It wasn't, you know, and, and it didn't, like, Micropunks didn't do great. Um, well, it's not done. It's yeah, not it's not done. Out. It's but, not uh, even out. It, it, was, it definitely really? didn't tank either. It was, like, one of those, like, when people talk about the success of Bunker Punks, it's like it's probably in the top 5% of Steam games, but at the very bottom of that top 5%, you know, so it's it's a hockey stick in like that that curve of yeah. success on Steam. If you're at the very top of that curve, you, it's, it's great and, you know, you can have a lot of success, but if you're just a little bit lower, it's exponentially lower as you go down. Um, and, you know, and there's, you know, I have friends who have launched games on Steam and literally sold tens of copies, you know, yeah. and it's, it's a very, it's a crazy marketplace so are you um gonna be looking at other platforms now no um mainly because uh bunker punks is built in unity 4 and i upgraded to unity 5 to support other platforms and unity made changes to how they do collision on dynamic meshes and so when i upgraded to unity 5 once every couple hours people would just fall through the world because of a Unity collision change, and I had to re- if I wanted to fix it, I would have had to rewrite all of my world generation code. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to roll back to Unity four, get the game done on PC, and that's it. Because everybody else, you need the latest version of Unity to to support it. And so, console support, you know, or any other platforms, not in the cards. And, yeah. So, would you make another game by yourself? Yeah, I love it. I, I really do. Um, what's what's some of the like best parts of it? Um, so like I worked in AAA for sixteen years before I went indie, and uh, I love that when you collaborate with people. And like I work with Power Up Audio and with the Shell in the Pit. They they did all the music on Bunker Bunks. It's a collaborative thing, and everyone wants the best. Thing for the game and you know we had, had that same experience on Shell Razor when I worked with Slick that was an amazing collaborative experience but when you're in AAA uh, or you're just in studio development in general a lot of people can be more selfishly inclined and argue from a point of personal gain or personal impact as opposed to what's best for the product and I, I love people I hate arguing with people and Professionally, you know, I work as a studio manager or a game producer or a design director, and you're in a position where you're just arguing with people all the time, and I just, it was more anxiety than it was worth. And so I'd just rather get together with a few people, either myself and like an artist, or myself and an artist and a programmer, and we all just want to make something awesome, and we work together to make something awesome. And so uh, I love it. And I, working by myself is good. I don't have a problem motivating myself and, you know, getting getting the hours in every day yeah. is, is not a problem for me. And so I really like it. And, uh, and in Vancouver, it's great because you can always, you know, go out with other people and talk about, you know, other solo developers yeah. can get together over lunch and have social contact with human beings and get out there. And so how do you, like, discipline what you're working on? Um... I realize that I have a limit on how many channels I can work on. Like, so Al- Alec Holoka is always talking about how he's got like four or five prototypes on the go all the time, and I can't do that. I just have to say, this is my game right now, yeah. and if that game 
is canceled, then I have another game right now. But I'm not going to say, I'm working on game A, and I'm also prototyping game B, and I have something game C on the yeah. side. Um, and right now I'm doing a lot of freelancing, and so I have like one main freelancing contract, one main project, and then I have like my own personal development stuff that I'm doing. Like I'm doing a lot of painting right now, and doing acrylic painting, and it's I love it, I'm, I'm loving it. Have you ever done paint throwing? No. It's pretty good. So you pick three paint colors, dip your paint, too much paint, stand about six feet away, huck it at the canvas. Wow. And then it drops like kind of cool streaks. But the best part is you pick your color palette. So I went like pink, purple, white. And then you get with other people. And, and then people, like the other guys always stand like a foot away. So you got a little bit of blue in there. Like, <laughs> just, uh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The Three Cats Art Studio on Main Street. Nice. That. Yeah. They don't only do cute mugs. That sounds like my, paint my, my shipping party. That's yeah. what we should do for the Bunker Punks wrap party is yeah. go and throw paint. Over there on this side. It's not a bad idea. You can do one big canvas. Everybody pitches in. You get like yeah. a huge like 30 by 10. Yeah. yeah, I like where your head's at. You might even be able to do a stencil, to be honest. Yeah, that's true. You could like like tape out Bunker Punks the logo and just and then just tuck a bunch of color palette. What's the Bunker Punks color palette? <laughs> Browns. <laughs> like the game is all like neon and sci-fi and like a lot of blues and, and grays, and then the enemies are all reds. But the the key image is a lot of like desaturated brown, post-apocalyptic stuff. Mm. And so, but like day to day, like design programming. Art, art, like how how did the whole development go? Was it like design heavy for a part and then art heavy for a part? Yeah, it's. It, I think that's a good way to put it. Like it's it's all about what's the most important thing. And so, I'm project manager by trade, and so I, I really got into Scrum and Agile development. So I kind of do Scrum as like Scrum of one. So I have my big backlog, and always the most important stuff is at the top. And sometimes the most important stuff is we're going to get a gun done this week. And so. You know, I do the research, I do my paper design, then I get the sprites happening, I get the animation done, and then I start tweaking the numbers, and I tweak the animation, and then once all the functionality's in, then I send it off to power up to get the audio pass, and then they send me back the audio, and by the end of the week, I've got a new gun. And so it's very, like, it's rare that I just do one thing for a big chunk of time. I, I focus a lot more on getting a full feature implemented. So there might be, like, when I was doing the bunker building, I knew I needed, you know, six different room types and five to six different upgrades per room so there was a ton of pixel art for two weeks and then there was a ton of programming as I built the whole simulation side of thing and the bunker building thing but that was probably one of the only times in development where I was just exclusively doing one thing for a chunk otherwise it's like I'm constantly switching between the disciplines and you know just so that I can take a chunk and put it in the game it's like oh we're going to add special attacks okay well which special attack are we going to do first we're going to do it for one character get all that done and art and everything all gets done in a, in a week and then do somebody else the next week cool well thanks for being on the question bus oh thanks for having me it's my first ride i've, I've been i've been listening for a long time i'm always excited to ride the question bus what's so. your what's your favorite episode you've heard um there uh ty ty taylor's when you did tumblestone i i don't know why just, he was the weird thing about that is because ty taylor is like one of like, I don't feel like he's on. I feel like he's, like, one of the most confident. Yeah. Like, he's always super confident and says a bunch of, like, fun things. Yeah. But then when I interviewed him, for whatever reason, I felt like he was, like, way more, like, reserved <laughs> than he was, and it freaked me out. Yeah. It's funny, because, like, when I listened to it, I'd only met Ty at parties, and I didn't really know him that well, and yeah. so now I've gotten to know him better. And uh, But, yeah, at the time, I was like, yeah, it was really cool. So, yeah, that one, that one stuck out to me for some reason. Yeah, cool, cool. And and how do you feel about Bandcamp? 
I love it. VenCaf uh, is my favorite Vancouver event of the year, bar none. And I spend all my time on Facebook leading up to it, telling people to come meet me at VanCaf. And so it's I've seen a bunch of friends here today. I, I've met a bunch of new artists. I've seen some old comic people that I love. And it's indie comics are one of the main reasons I do indie games. Mm-hmm. And the same level of expression that you get in indie comics that you can just make a weird little zine about your trip to Japan and staple it together and sell it for $3 and if nobody buys it that's totally cool. That's what I love about indie games and that's what I love about sites like Itch.io and you know that's something now that Bunker Punks has done. It's been a four year project there's going to be a lot of weird little small things that I'm working on that aren't necessarily going to be commercial that aren't going to you know have like a PR campaign and a trailer and stuff like that. Just making weird stuff, putting it out there, experimenting, learning new things, and uh, I get a lot of inspiration from the indie comic scene. Is there anything in particular you always try and get out of VanCav when you come? Um, I'm constantly reminded that color works in ways I don't expect it to as an artist, and so when I see color combinations in indie comics that I don't expect, it always gets me excited, and so it's that that's the one reminder I get every single year is... I'm always looking at the covers because everyone does a really good job on their covers and there's always such range in between them. And so just finding out, like, there's different ways to tell stories and different things connect with different people and there's no there's no right or wrong when it comes to art. There's no good or bad. It's whether or not it succeeds in what it's attempting to do. And uh, that's a big inspiration. That would have been a perfect ending, but I forgot to ask you if there's anything more you want to plug. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Shane Neville. I tweet a lot. Um, Bunker Punks is coming out May 28th on Steam and uh, Humble and probably on Itch if I get time to set up the page in the next week. And uh, yeah, check out the game. I hope you like it.